0: Well, he is risen. you got to have one of those, right? So, happy Easter. Thank you so much for uh, spending part of your day with us. And my name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I'd love to meet you at some point. But the whole message of Easter is summed up in one of those verses that was just read. Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. That's the message of Easter, that Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen. And that means that Easter is not just good vibes. Easter is good news. Easter is not just a sentimental idea. Easter is an event. Something actually happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Easter is not like one of those inspirational quotes calendars you know, where you can put it on your desk and just feel good, you know, and get some uplifting thoughts. Like, uh, there are always flowers for those who want to see them, you know. Easter is not a sentimental, inspirational idea. Easter is an event. Something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Today, I just want to consider one question together. And that is, what if that's true? What if that's true? What if that really happened? In my house right now, um, I've got an almost two-year-old. And so the only show that we ever watch is the show called Bluey. And it's about these two little kids that are dogs. And, um, and in the show, anytime they're afraid that an adult is either pretending Um, or joking with them, they'll say, for real life, for real life. And that's the question I want to ask today about the Easter story. Is this for real life? Is the Easter story real? Mark, the author of this particular gospel account, helps us answer that question by introducing us to three women If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 16 is where we'll be today. This is on page 905 in the Bible that's in the seat there in front of you if you want to follow along. Mark chapter 16. These women are significant to the story on a couple of levels. First, these women help us see that the Easter story that Mark is telling us is reliable, it is historically reliable. This story that Mark is telling us. See, most people don't believe that today. Many people today believe something like this about Jesus Um, Jesus was a real person, he was a good teacher, he attracted a big following, and lots of his followers thought he was the Messiah. And then after Jesus died, his closest followers loved him so much and were so inspired by his life and example and his teachings that they felt as if Jesus's presence was still with them and it was still guiding them. And maybe they even had visions of Jesus being back from the dead to offer them hope for life. And eventually, as these followers of Jesus told their story of how inspired they were by Jesus, people wrote down these accounts of his life, and in order to capture just how inspiring he was, they told the story as if Jesus really did rise from the dead, and these stories eventually grew into these legends that were believed, because in the ancient world, people weren't as smart as we are today. They believed in all kinds of weird superstitious stuff. They weren't nearly as scientific as we are. And so they believed that kind of stuff. And so eventually people actually started to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that's what the gospel accounts record for us. That's a common way of thinking about the gospels today. But Mark actually challenges that. Look. Mark chapter 16, verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, and then he introduces us to three women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Why is it significant that Mark mentions these three women? Well, if you'll notice in chapter 15, if you'll look just above this, These women are also mentioned in verse 40 of chapter 15. And two of them are mentioned again in verse 47 of chapter 15. So three times in just seven verses, Mark is mentioning these women by name. Why? He doesn't just say, well, once there were three women who... He says, no, it was Mary from Magdal. It's a place, Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of... James, and of Joses, and this woman named Salome. Why is that significant? Richard Bauckham, who's um, a New Testament scholar at Cambridge in England, says that he does this super comprehensive study, and he concludes in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, that, that Mark is just doing what any historian in the ancient world would do. He's citing his sources. And by naming these people and by saying not just that something happened, but who saw it, he's, it's his way of like giving a modern day footnote. It's his way of citing his sources and saying, if you want to know more about this, go ask these people. And virtually all scholars today believe that The Gospel of Mark was written within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, and so you actually would be able to go and ask them. So these women are significant to the story because it's Mark's way of saying, fact check me. This is real. But these women are also significant to the story on another level. These women help us see that this story is reliable, not only because they're mentioned by name, but also because they're mentioned at all in the ancient world, women were not given the same rights and respect that they have in many places in the West today. They weren't taken seriously. And so it's actually interesting. One of the, one of the earliest critiques of Christianity in the ancient world, in the first and second century, was actually over this fact. You can Google this for yourself. There's a man named Kelsus you can Google. And their attack on Christianity was that there were too many women. Look, the Christian faith can't be true. They've got to be making up a religion. You can't take it seriously. Why? Because too many women believe it. And we know women can't be trusted, right? That was their argument in the ancient world. And the reason we know that it's surprising that the women were mentioned is because people believed the argument. They're like, oh yeah, you're right. Oh, women are the ones who passed that down? Yeah, you're right. You can't take, take, can't take it seriously. So there's no strategic reason for Mark to include women in the story in his culture. If he's inventing a legend that he wants for the rest of the world to buy into, if he wants the rest of the world to believe that Jesus really does live on in our hearts, or Jesus really did rise from the dead. If Mark wants you to believe that, he would not tell the story by focusing on women. That means this must have really happened. Why else would he be telling the story this way? See, the women help us see that this story is real. It's reliable. It's historically credible. But not only do these women help us see that this is not just a legend, but this is actually reliable. These women help us see that this is a real story in the sense that it's also for real life. They help us see that it's relatable. It didn't just happen in real life. It's also for real life and real people. Real people with real problems need this story. The women help us see that. Look, it says that after Sabbath was over, they bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Here's what's interesting. Jesus was killed on Friday. Saturday was Sabbath. And then this takes place on Sunday. For Jews on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to do any work. You're not allowed to go anywhere. And so the women have been cooped up in the house all day. And then the first thing they want to do Sunday morning, as soon as they're allowed to, they want to go and anoint the body. Why is that significant? Because these women are helping us see that this is a story for real people. This is a relatable story. See, these women were close followers of Jesus. The gospel of Luke tells us that they actually supported Jesus financially so that he could travel around and do all the ministry that he was doing. So these are women who believe in Jesus. They are close friends with Jesus. In many ways, Jesus is like a father figure to some of them. They love this man. And they watched him be mocked and beaten and flogged. They watched him, it tells us, Be nailed to a cross. They watched him die on the cross. They watched him be taken from the cross. They watched him be put in the tomb. And they watched as a stone was rolled in front of the tomb. Imagine what these women were feeling all day on the Sabbath. There was a wave of trauma that they just endured you know what it's like to unexpectedly have someone that you love pass away. And these women experienced that. These women not only experienced a sudden death, but they watched the person that they love be publicly ridiculed. Imagine what they're feeling. They're exhausted because you don't sleep well when you've gone through things like that. They're dealing with all kinds of grief and sadness and loss. They're maybe dealing with some anger because that's a normal thing to experience. Maybe they're angry at Rome for executing Jesus. They're angry at the Jewish leaders. Maybe they're angry at the disciples. Couldn't they have done something to protect him? Couldn't they have... Maybe they're feeling embarrassed. They had friends who didn't follow Jesus. They had friends who had warned them, you're spending too much time with this Jesus guy. They had friends who had said, you're foolish. You're really going to hitch your cart to that wagon? And now they're having to ask themselves, were they right? Did we just waste all of this time and money? Are we that stupid? Did we not see this? They're feeling maybe guilt and shame. Is there something that they could have done? Could I have stopped this somehow? It's a common emotion. And they're also just ready to get out of the house. (laughs) And do you know that feeling? When you've just, you're cooped up, You've got to sit around and think about all of these terrible things. And you're just like, I just want to go do something. Just put me to work. But it's Sabbath. So they're up all night thinking about Jesus. At times it causes them to smile and then laugh and then immediately to cry. And then they get up first thing to go buy some spices to go and anoint Jesus at the tomb. You can relate to that. I can relate to that. We all know what it's like to have had a sleepless night and then feel like we got to walk to the tomb. Just this week, I had conversations with people who are dealing with incredible stress at work, people who are dealing with significant health challenges, people who are feeling inadequate for the roles that they need to play, people who are having serious marriage challenges, people who are dealing with stress about being a parent and figuring that out, people who are dealing with unexpected death, people who are overwhelmed by all of life's responsibilities, people who are being mocked and made fun of. This week, I spoke with with people Dealing with that kind of stuff and all of that kind of stuff is like what these women are feeling. They're overwhelmed. We all know what that's like. These women help us see that not only is this story reliable, but it's also relatable. It's not just a story that happened in real life. It's a story for real life. And what happens next has the power to redeem broken stories. To redeem means to take something that's broken and make it good again, to take something that is dead and make it alive again. And this story has the power to do that. The women on their way to the tomb, verse three says, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? which means they had left the house before thinking through all the details. You ever done that? Oh yeah, we're not even gonna be able to get in there. We just bought all these spices and we can't even open up the stinking tomb. And as they're blaming each other for that, because you know, some one of them was like the organized type who just can't believe they forgot. And the others were depending on her. Verse four, looking up, They noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Oh, the tomb's already open. That's weird. Why is the tomb open? They don't understand. And so they walk in. Verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. Why is he here? Sitting on the right side. It's an interesting detail. They were alarmed. Yeah, And the word alarmed is actually a much stronger word. It means they were startled and afraid. We find out, you know, through reading all of scripture that this is an angel. This is how angels are described. And they were not expecting to see an angel this particular day. And so, and angels are scary. And so they're terrified and they're alarmed. And they're like, why are you here? And where is Jesus? And so... Verse six, the angel says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And now all of their problems are solved, right? Now they don't have to be sad anymore. Now they instantly go from being so sad and upset to having incredible joy and faith because of what the angel told them, right? No, this is a real story. Is that how you would respond? Are you that gullible? Are you that easily convinced. No, it's a real story. These are real people. And so Mark ends the story in the most confusing way. Verse eight, they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Now, eventually the women would go and they would tell disciples, they would go and they would see Jesus just as the angel had said. But that's not what they do initially. And that is where Mark ends the story. Why does he end that way? It's almost as if he wants the readers, us, to wrestle with this question just like the women had to wrestle. Is this for real? Did this really happen? here's what that tells us. It tells us that even at the first Easter, there were doubts. Jesus had said on three different occasions in the gospel of Mark that he would be killed and then on the third day, rise. But nobody is on their way to the tomb to wait for his resurrection on Easter. Nobody's there counting down backwards from 10. 10, 9, here it comes. He said, nobody's doing that. Why? Because they didn't believe. Once you die, it's over. See, it's wrong to assume that, well, in the ancient world, they were just idiots and they would have believed stuff like this. But, but now, no, they didn't believe either. Jews had no category for a resurrection like this. There were many Jews who believed in a resurrection for all people at the end of time, but no Jew believed in a resurrection for one in the middle of time. It's completely incompatible with their worldview. Same thing for Greeks, who would have been the first people reading this account. They've got no category for a resurrection. In the Greek worldview, The body is evil and corrupted, and the soul is what's good. And so real life is found when you're set free from the corruption of the body. Resurrection is not something you take seriously. It's not even something you hope for, because you want to be set free from the body. Even on the first Easter, there were doubts. Even on the first Easter, there were reasons people had for not... Believing So if that's you today, you're invited, just like the women were invited, to ask, what if this is real? What if Jesus really rose from the dead? There's an interesting conversation that I was reminded of this week um, by reading this, this article um, And it's a situation between J.R.R. Tolkien um, and C.S. Lewis. And Tolkien, as you know, is the author of the Lord of the Rings series. And C.S. Lewis is the author of um, the Chronicles of Narnia. And both of them were close friends, and um, they were both teachers at Oxford. And at the time of this particular conversation, Tolkien was a Christian, but... Lewis was an atheist, and they were on this walk, and they were talking about how it's interesting that people just love fairy tales. I mean, like, throughout time, those are the kinds of stories that get passed down. People love fairy tales, and they were talking about how that's because, really, everybody wants to be part of a fairy tale. A fairy tale is where good triumphs over evil, where there's heroic self-sacrifice, where there's love that lasts forever, where people live happily ever after. Everybody wants to be part of a story like that. And they were talking about that, and C.S. Lewis said, yeah, it's true that people love those stories, but, but they're all lies. That's not the way that the world really works. That's not the real world. In the real world, most of the time, evil actually triumphs over good. In the real world, love ends. I mean, even the the greatest relationships ultimately part because of death. In the real world, heroes don't normally sacrifice themselves for people. They look out for their own interests, and they deceive the populace into thinking that they're heroes. In the real world, you don't live happily ever after. That's not real life. As they were having that conversation, Tolkien made an evangelistic move that would eventually lead to C.S. Lewis placing his faith in Jesus. Tolkien said, no, that's not true. The reason that everybody loves fairy stories, the reason that people resonate with stories like that is not just because we long to be part of a world that we're not really part of. It's because deep down in us, we know that that's really the way that the world should be. It may not be the way that the world is. It may not be what we see, but but deep down in us, we know that that's the way the world should be. The world should be a place where good triumphs over evil. The world world should be a place where love is eternal. The world should be a place where heroes lay down their lives for people. The world should be a place where you live happily ever after. And the reason that deep down in our hearts, we feel that that's the way the world should be is because we were made in the image of God. And in the story of the gospels, in the life of Jesus, you have Everything that you love about a fairy tale. The difference is because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's become real. In the story of Jesus, what we all ultimately long for, what we believe the world should be, actually becomes what. Jesus and his resurrection opens the door between life as it should be and life as it actually is. Jesus and his resurrection are not just one more story that our hearts long to be true. Jesus and his resurrection are the underlying reality to which all the other stories ultimately point. We wanna live in a world where Harry defeats Voldemort where Luke converts Darth Vader, where Frodo destroys the ring. And if you feel that's not the way the world goes though, man. Mark is inviting you to consider, but what if Jesus really rose from the dead? What would that mean for you? What would that mean for you? if Jesus really rose from the dead. If Jesus really has been raised from the dead, then it means that your story too can be redeemed. See, in the story, in Mark chapter 16, every single character gets redeemed. Jesus gets redeemed. His story is redeemed. Jesus goes from being just a dead guy that we've got to anoint so that he can rot for a few more months until we put him in a real prison a, a real tomb jesus goes from just another failed messiah to a resurrected king jesus goes from being somebody you could mock hey you saved others you did all these miracles why don't you pull yourself down from there Jesus goes from being someone you can spit on, being somebody that you can mock, being somebody that you can make fun of. Jesus goes from somebody you can kill to somebody that you cannot contain. Jesus is raised from the dead. And in doing so, his story is vindicated. In doing so, his life is vindicated. The cross is vindicated. His death worked because of the resurrection. The resurrection is proof that sinners really can be forgiven for their sins because the guy who died on the cross to pay for the sins, who claimed that he was giving his life as a ransom for many, that king has not just been killed, but he has been raised. Jesus' story is is redeemed. These women's story is redeemed. In verse 1, they are going to anoint Jesus. In verse 7, they are told to go tell Jesus. Jesus is alive. The whole trajectory of their life will change because of this event. Just like you and just like me, they had to wrestle with the reality of that. Is this really true? But because it was true, they would never anoint the body of Jesus, but they would be a witness for generations that he has risen. Jesus' story is redeemed and the women's story is redeemed. But that's not all. Notice this little detail in verse seven. The angel says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. Why mention Peter by name? See, Peter is the disciple who, disowned Jesus in Jesus's greatest moment of need. In the darkest hour, Jesus was denied by Peter. When Jesus needed him most, Peter said, I don't even know him. And he cursed him three times. The guilt and the shame that Peter felt for that. Why does the angel say Tell his disciples and Peter. Because if he just says, go tell his disciples, Peter would be left to wonder, but, but could he want to see me again? He must mean his true disciples. I, I proved I'm not one of those. But by singling out Peter, the angel says, the resurrection makes it possible even for screw-ups of the worst kind to be brought back in. Do you feel like a screw up? Do you feel like I'm not a church person? I didn't know I was supposed to wear a coat on Easter. Do you have sins? Do you feel like you could not be accepted by a God? resurrection says, and Peter can come, which means that you can come too. In fact, Peter is positioned to lead the movement, not because of how great he is, but because he understands what the movement is all about. Peter is most positioned to lead the movement because it is a movement of redemption. The bigger the screw up you are, the more you understand what the whole thing is about. And so you're invited to. The resurrection of Jesus can bring redemption to your story. So, what if the resurrection is real? Tolkien reflects on this conversation with Lewis and says, there is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true than Jesus' life. And none which so many skeptical men have accepted was true based on its own merits. If the Easter story is real, it means that good really does triumph over evil. It means that love really can be eternal. It means that there really is a hero Known for self-sacrifice, it means that you really can live happily ever after if Jesus has been raised from the dead. Do you believe that? What would that look like in your life if the resurrection is true? What is your future if Jesus really rose from the dead? In front of you, you might only see death. In front of you, you might only see stress. In front of you, you might only see divorce. In front of you, you might only see heartbreak. In front of you, you might only see delaying the inevitable. In front of you, you might have sleepless nights where the next day it feels like you just have to walk to a tomb. But if the resurrection is real, then that is not your future. If you belong to Jesus, your future is a future where just as Jesus was raised, so you will be raised. First Thessalonians chapter four says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. Speaking of those who have passed away so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see what this says? In the same way that Jesus was raised, you will be raised. That means if you belong to Jesus, if you, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead, then your future is a future with a glorified body, just like Jesus's body. Your future is not an ethereal existence where after you die, you'll pass into the spirit world like Yoda and Obi-Wan or something. It's not where you'll just sleep forever. Your future, if you belong to Jesus, is a future where you will be raised from the dead in a glorious body. That means your future is a future where you will run and dance and sing and ski. You will play spike ball again. In the future, there will be cooking. There will be art. Your future is a bodily future if you belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, someday your body that is breaking down will be made new again. Your memory that doesn't quite work like it used to will work again. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, you have a glorious future. And not only will you have a new body like Jesus, but you will live on a new earth that Jesus will make when he returns. And on that earth, life will be as it should be. It will be an earth where there is justice, it will be an earth where there is prosperity. It'll be a world where there's joy and intimacy and peace. If Jesus has been raised, if the Easter story is real, then you have great reason for hope. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I think you owe it to yourself to wrestle with that question. My prayer for us is that we would have confidence no matter what we face because Jesus lives. Let me pray for us. Father, I praise you for sending your son Jesus to take on human flesh to go to a cross and die as the substitute for sinners, to pay the debt that we owe. And God, today we praise you because you raised him from the dead. And God, we know that we have been raised with him. Someday we will be raised. God, I pray that you would help these truths to sink down deep in our hearts. Would your spirit do what only your spirit can do, Would you cause dry bones to live? It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?